So hello everybody, welcome to the third episode of the Kaleidoscope Cafe podcast. Joining me today is Joe Jamfrey. He speaks publicly about autism and the issues that affect autistic people. Um, thanks for coming on, Joe. Thank you. No, thank you very much for asking. No problem. So the first point I wanted to hear with you, which I think would be a really nice place to start, is this idea of Takiwatanga. I'd never heard this word before I was introduced to it by a video you made where you were explaining what it means. Do you want to quickly explain what it means? Because I think it's a very nice definition of autism that could help people understand a little bit from maybe our perspective, um, how we view it. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it means, it is a, it's a Maori word, and it, um, it means in his or her own space and time, uh, which I honestly found to be a really uh, fantastic and quite fascinating uh, perspective. Um, because, you know, a lot of the time you look up autism and it's very much written from the point of view of it being a disorder or, um, you know, an impairment. And that way of looking at it really made me think, yeah, that, that is, that's very much how I feel. Um, you know, as if I live kind of in, in the, you know, the neurotypical world, but equally uh, kind of I'm on my own plane <laughs> in some respects, um, kind of just sort of, yeah, going along. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting you've brought up already the idea that it's seen as a sort of impairment. That's something I've seen a lot of, obviously, during Autism Awareness Month. We see a lot of companies pushing this narrative, um, which it can be the case that it can impair some people, you know, inability to speak or uh, lack of ability yeah. that it can cause in different ways. Um, but I think it's really important also that we recognise the talents that autistic people have. And I've heard you talk a lot about this idea of autistic people having a rich inner world, which is something I've never heard talked about before, but I think it's really key in um, sort of addressing some misconceptions about autistic people, that there is actually a lot going on under the surface and people have incredible talents who are autistic. And I think it's really important that we recognise that. So do you want to talk a bit about, um, I think the key organisation that I've seen a lot of very problematic things from is Autism Speaks. Do you want to talk about a bit about um, some of the things that they promote that might not be helpful for us? Sure, sure. Um, well, one of the biggest problems, I think, is just the um, their lack of, they're, they're just, they just don't want to hear autistic voices. Uh, and they have a refusal, you know, often to actually employ autistic people as well. The, the autistic people who have worked for them have felt very oppressed. Um, and so I think that's that's one thing, but but equally just um, this this kind of this kind of thing they push about autism being um, very much a disorder that needs to be cured. Um, but equally, they don't want it to be fully cured because they they need to make money from the people who they're trying to get um, on this gravy train, you know, of of it being a tragedy. That's basically how they promote it as as being a tragedy. And I think you know what I try to do in my videos is I don't try to sugarcoat things, but I don't try to be miserable either. I, I try and look at it from a very balanced perspective, um, both from the fact that it can be a disorder in some respects and really disabling, but also it can bring with it many gifts and, and um, you know, talents. But um, also, you know, I try and make it clear that it is just my, my perspective. I'm not trying to speak for other autistic people as a whole, um, but hopefully some people relate to it. Yeah, definitely. I definitely know I did. Um, as you know, I was very unaware of the fact that I was autistic before actually finding your videos. Um, so that's funny that you sort of unwittingly helped guide me towards my own diagnosis in a way, okay. um, which was great, obviously. Oh, so I think it's really key that there are channels like this that are letting people know that it's, 
you know, what autism actually is, firstly, because there's a lot of massive, in, um, sorry, misconceptions. Um, but also, it's not something I ever heard talked about as a child. And so I didn't realise there was anything different at all. I thought everybody was masking and that everybody sort of secretly felt this way on the inside. Yes, yeah. Um, and then, you know, found out that that's obviously not the case. Um, you talked briefly there that they had employees who felt that they'd been oppressed at Autism Speaks. Were there any particular instances? Oh, I'd have to bring up a, a list. I mean, I don't have it to hand. Um, it's been a long time since I've read all, all of that information. But um, yeah, there were several instances where people uh, worked for Autism Speaks and felt, you know, um, as if they they were kind of not really being treated properly or listened to or or respected in the way that a neurotypical employee might be. Yeah, I think that's a massive shame. Um, I saw it as well recently. I don't know if you know, um, the musician Sia, I think, released a film about autism, but she wouldn't employ any autistic actors. Um, oh, yes, yes. She, yes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said something along the lines of they aren't good enough or something to tell these stories, um, which I think is so ironic considering, you know, Anthony yes. Hopkins, you have all these great actors who are autistics and yeah, I mean, the idea that there's a lack of ability there to tell our own stories is, I think, a massive issue. Um, oh, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned there the idea that we can cure autism. Obviously, that plays into the idea that um, autism awareness isn't necessarily also always going to be enough just on its own. Um, do you want to talk a bit about um, sort of your ideas around that? Okay. Um, well, I, I mean, one thing that I've, I've discussed before is, is the fact that... Um, there's this, this terminology that um, one of my friends started using, another content creator uh, who talked about um, engaging autism rather than necessarily it being about awareness or acceptance. Because I think we've reached a stage where um, certainly in a lot of the world, there is an awareness of autism. Most people, at least if they don't know much about it, have heard the word and probably have a, a vague idea of, of um, what it is. You know, at least even if it's a, a wrong idea, you know, um, even if they just think it's a, a disorder or something like that, or a social impairment, um, they at least have an idea of what it is. But uh, acceptance, a lot of people think, is the next stage up. But obviously, the real the reality about acceptance is that you can accept something without necessarily having to like it or accommodate it. Um, you know, it's like it's kind of you you can accept the fact you have to accept the fact that the sun rises every every day but you don't have to like it um and um it's kind of that that sort of same thing you know you can have you can accept autistic people exist but that doesn't actually necessarily mean you're going to make them try and accommodate them um and so i think that's really what it's about accommodating other people's needs um and yeah like i say engaging with them actively making the effort to actually um to to help them and to you know get along yeah absolutely um, I think a massive area where we need more active sort of recognition of autism is in employment. Um, I think the most recent statistic was around 22% of autistic adults are employed, which is obviously greatly below the rest of the population. Um, what has your experience been in employment? Have you found that people have been quite accommodating or have you found the opposite? Uh, I've had some very mixed experiences. Um, truth be told i mean uh i've found you know there have been times i would say employment is probably the biggest challenge i've faced um in adult life uh, for sure and um i mean i've had some situations where i've just not you know i've been bullied at work and kind of um really made, been made to feel like an outsider the masking aspect was was really exhausting and you know th things like as well 
feeling feeling like I was feeling too afraid to actually um, be honest about being autistic. Um, feeling that I might not, um, even though employers are technically not allowed to discriminate against um, disabilities, the reality is it does happen. And, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes seen as a, as a negative thing still and a stigma in some areas of, of society. Um, so, you know, it's varied for me in terms of some places I've worked out, usually the ones I've been more comfortable with. Um, quite often I've gone to interviews and been able to tell quite quickly, you know, whether I'd be comfortable working at a certain place. And, you know, some, some workplaces have been fantastic. And um, I only wish that, that it was, you know, some of the places I've worked at, that it was like that everywhere. Um, you know, there's one particular place I worked at, which was in a bookshop in uh, Hale Mai. And the people who worked there were just wonderful. They, they um, completely accommodated me without once making me feel, you know, like it was a problem, like I was inferior in any way, or like they were talking down to me, you know. Um, particularly because one of the things I struggle with quite a lot is um, instructions when people give long um, long instructions I'd struggle to sort of break it down and and work out how to go about a task um, so that was that was one thing they were really good at but yeah it's been a very a very mixed experience I'd say overall it's been more it's been pretty difficult but there have been a few really good uh, examples yeah um this is a bit of an off-topic question, but were you ever involved with the Hay Festival? Um, alas, no, I wasn't. I was actually, um, I think, I can't remember what was going on. I, 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 had, to, I had to stay at home um, the, the week that it was on when I was working there, uh, the, for the year I was working there. And then, of course, when I might have wanted to go in 2020, that obviously didn't happen. It was a um, virtual festival. Um, but yeah, so it's a shame, but um, hopefully one day in future, I'd like to go there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been employed in my adult life in a typical job. And I've put that often down to, I think autism can play a factor in interview skills and just having, um, you know, the ability to work within that social sort of framework where it's very nuanced and you have to say certain things that sure. the employer wants you to say without necessarily having the knowledge of you know what those things might be and the certain things you can't say but nobody's going to tell you what those things are in yeah. an outright way um so i think definitely picking up on social cues at work has um or trying to find work has been a big part of it for me um i'm lucky that i'm a musician and so a lot of the time i can get away with doing gigs and that can okay nice. provide yeah the, um, cool. the financial like you know means that i need um but i do think it's interesting how many autistic people have to sort of use these often special interests or particular talents that autistic people have to lean on. I think that can often, for me, that's been the way out of that kind of whole conundrum of unemployment, but um, sure. obviously a massive issue. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of working at a bookshop, I, I think that's interesting. I think it plays into the idea of having an inner world. And there is the misconception that autistic people are boring, but I find a lot of autistic people, particularly bookworms who are autistic, people have like just incredible imaginations do you think yeah. um, loving books has come out of maybe a, an imagination that has had a relation to having autism perhaps oh certainly certainly yes um yes i always find that to be um again i don't want to you know 
to, to make generalizations or even to, to, um, to say necessarily something is right or wrong. But, um, you know, there's a, I often read this, this thing about in, in certain um, descriptions of autism that people put up in uh, websites and so on about, you know, there being a lack of creativity. Um, and I find, I find that really quite astounding because that's completely the opposite of the experience I've, I've had with um, not just in terms of myself, but in terms of many autistic people I know who are highly creative individuals. And um, yes, I think it does. It does really, you know, having a in my case, certainly having an inner world comes from from um, maybe maybe in my case, my autism ties into being introverted as well. Um, and perhaps because I, you know, have struggled with social in social situations have, have become an introvert and um, kind of go into a fantastical space you know um, escapism through fantasy or fiction um, can can be a big thing and of course then you know as you as you get older you kind of I, in my case I've always wanted to write fiction so that's another escape and to read it and of course I guess one great thing about writing is that is that you know it helps to read as well uh, to get a to help you to, to work on your own ideas and get a broader perspective of what's out there um, you have recently written a poetry book that I have yet to read. Um, do you think that that's been a form of escapism? Does that play into it? Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, well, my first, the first one I released was um, roughly, I started writing that roughly, I think a couple of months before I began um, with my YouTube channel. Uh, and again, it was because I was going through a pretty tough time. Um, and I'd just begun to discover sort of how difficult adulthood would be for me. Um, particularly in terms of employment. Um, and so I was, I was kind of struggling a bit uh, with my mental health. And that was when I started the YouTube as well, because it was a whole thing of, of almost sending out a message in a bottle saying, trying to see if there are other people out there who felt the same way I did, um, essentially. And my poems are kind of, I like to think they're quite dark and quite depressing in, in some ways, but they do accurately sort of express how I felt at that time. Um, and equally now, you know, in, within the within the lockdowns and the periods of isolation, as much as as much as I like being on my own, there has been difficulties there too. And I suppose I use those poems to sort of help to to deal with that as well. Um, and that's much more of in my second release. Um, but I hope there's a bit of I've deliberately divided it into two sections. Um, one of which is called darkness, and the other is called light. So hopefully, there's a bit more relief at the end. <laughs> yeah. Best of both worlds, absolutely. Um, I think that's interesting you bring up about lockdown. I've noticed quite a big divide between the way I viewed lockdown and the way people around me did, neurotypical people. Um, it seemed to be less affecting to me to um, go, as you say, in long periods of hermithood and isolation. Um, how did you find lockdown? Because obviously it did present challenges for autistic people as well. Um, do you, do you yeah. think you experienced it differently to neurotypical people? Uh, yes, I mean, I think in some respects, the actual, um, you know, the, the, the being given essentially permission to, to be a hermit and to not, but there being a, there being a very clear reason why I didn't have to, to interact with people and being given an excuse for it, um, was, was in some ways, you know, it was frustrating because, you know, I find I'm actually somebody who really, when it comes to hanging out with friends and so on. I like to see them in person. I don't find it's the same on a virtual, um, you know, virtual interaction. Um, and so I kind of did still after a while get lonely in spite of um, 
in spite of not really missing people as a whole um, and being, <laughs> being, being sort of um, glad to be out of it for a while. But, um, you know, I, I do need some close friends who I've kind of share similar interests with um, and many of whom are autistic as well. Um, but yeah, certainly it was, it was a chance to kind of breathe initially um, and kind of get, you know, take a break from, from all of the stuff that had been causing me uh, suffering. Yeah. I think it's also interesting um, how autistic people can often actually prefer working at home because it removes so many of those kind of social daily pressures that we go through. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something I found that I, yeah, obviously dealt with the loneliness of being separated from friends and also not being able to travel to see various friends. Um, but I do think working from home in some ways was actually quite refreshing for a while. Obviously, mm. given the circumstances, it was because of a bad situation and obviously I recognize that and I'm not saying sure. a great time but um yeah, yeah absolutely um I think this ties into something I want to bring up is you've spoken about not really wanting to engage with news or politics which is something I've seen with a couple of autistic people I know is that it can be so difficult um to really see truth in politics especially as an autistic person I think I personally can often be quite gullible when it comes mm. to you know the things that politicians say and um you know various stories that you hear online how have you yeah. kind of dealt with that do you hear from friends or how, how do you kind of go about engaging with politics yes yeah i mean i well i, I don't really to be honest with you. <laughs> um it is it is very it just really isn't um much of a, a part of my life uh and that that's a very conscious decision you know it's one that over the years i just kind of found it very confusing and um you know, and I, I think the reality is that many neurotypical people do. It's, it's um, you know, ultimately politicians lie a lot, um, and but they try and convince you they're not lying. So where the, where the lines are between the truth and, and the, the fiction is it's often very hard even for neurotypical people uh, to, to, but it's in my case, being autistic, it's just a game I'm not equipped for. Um, and I find it, um, yeah, I just find it very, very stressful trying to work it out. And, um, you know, I kind of have some, vague ideas based on the little I know who I'm going to vote for um, but I kind of do that as well because I feel like it's a thing that I'm meant to be doing I don't really do it because I want to I mean I'm just very apolitical really um, but yeah I think it's necessarily the best choice to, to, to the best road to take I don't encourage other people to do that but um, for me I just don't really have time for it which I think is definitely very understandable because it is such a difficult sort of thing to navigate especially as an autistic person um yeah um we've mentioned masking a couple of times should we kind of explain for people who maybe aren't as familiar with autism what that actually means do you how do you sort of describe it to people okay um well as an actor it's a very interesting um parallel between what i've done in the past because um it is very much like acting it is it is in a sense you are you are putting on you know that's why it's called masking of course you're putting on a mask you're putting on a persona that is not really you it is it is meant it is you were you were trying to to function in a world that was not built for you and um and to fit into to what is expected um often at, you know tremendous personal cost but um yeah i i like to, to compare it to acting because you are essentially it feels like sometimes you're just playing a character you're going through the motions of of um but the problem is, of course, that the, the masking, the mask is not uh, sustainable for very long, often. 
Um, and even when people do manage to sustain it, as I say, it can be, it can really cause them a lot of suffering. Um, and mostly that's to do with, you know, particularly as, uh, again, going back to the workplace, um, or even, you know, at school when you were supposed to be, you know, to like cool things and do, you know, hang around with cool people. Um, you, you know, were kind of expected to, to follow a certain social hierarchy and, and norm. Um, and that only works for a while, <laughs> you know, you can't put it off forever. Um, so that's how, I, yeah, that's how I describe it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's one of the um, biggest challenges I faced was, um, especially like as a younger kid, as you say in school, just learning that you, you sometimes have to just allow yourself to take down the mask, no matter how that's gonna affect the people around you, if they're gonna, you know, potentially as you've talked about bullying in the workplace, things like that. And just, it's sometimes easier to shoulder that burden than to try and pretend to be somebody you're not 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Very unsustainable. Yeah, well, I mean, I always try to, when I'm, you know, deliberately trying to become friends with somebody, I don't, um, I just let the mask go because ultimately I'm, I'm wise enough to now, to now know that ultimately in friendships, you've just got to, if you're going to really trust somebody, you've just got to be yourself because they're being themselves with you as well, so. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's um it's funny how honest autistic people are sometimes. Um, I think, as you say, you, you just have to be honest sometimes and there's no point of trying to keep up a persona or lie to people about who you are or what you really like, even if those things are not necessarily whatever's on trend or cool at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I just kind of think as well, it's, um, it's kind of why I struggle with, with not you know, I, I do find it difficult to, to not to, to lie about autism when you're at work if you don't want to sort of, you know, make it public knowledge, because it's 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 an incredibly um, I just think it's an incredibly oppressive thing to do. You you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't generally ask somebody to keep quiet about their political views or their sexuality or something like that. But, but to not be able to, to to talk about something that is such an inherent part of who you are just feels very wrong. Yeah. Um... Yeah, um, I think I'll bring it back to an idea we sort of briefly addressed earlier was the idea of sort of wanting to remove autism as a cure instead of accept it, like you were saying, um, you know, in the workplace and etc. Um, did you have much experience of that as a kid, people sort of wanting you to not be autistic? Because I definitely, as I, I wasn't diagnosed until later, I experienced sort of being told I had to make eye contact. You know, people would say things like, if I'm talking to you, look me in the eye and things like that, which obviously I found quite challenging at the time. Did you have many experiences like that? Yes, yes, I suppose I did really. Uh, I mean, the ones, one of the ones I remember I, I talked about in a video a long while back was... Um, I used to really struggle with a lot of, um, I guess you'd call them motor skills, practical um, skills. I was quite delayed in developing stuff like that. So, so for instance, um, you know, with sport, I was never, I was always the last person they picked on the team because um, I just couldn't, um, couldn't sort of keep up or like, you know, um, for ages I was, you know, couldn't even catch a ball on time and stuff like that. Um, I had to practice an awful lot more to, to fit in with that. And then, you know, stuff like um, tying up my shoelaces, for instance, I found really hard. Um, and I remember a teacher berating me for that one time because I was supposedly too old to need help with, with that, you know, and uh, that, that was quite, that kind of stuck with me for some reason. Um, but um, yeah, it's stuff, stuff like that kind of, I suppose, was when people sort of, you know, would rather I hadn't, hadn't been different or um yeah yeah stuff like that yeah i think um 
on the flip side of that, there is obviously the recognition of autistic people's particular talents and skills um, and special interests, of course, which I think in childhood was a very prominent part of my experience of autism. Uh, I was very interested in fossils, things like that, um, which obviously weren't particularly normal hobbies for like somebody around six or seven years of age. Um, what were your kind of hobbies as a kid? Well, it's actually, it's very interesting. I was into fossils for quite a long time and, and um, sort of prehistoric um, stuff, you know, the Ice Age and all of that. Um, I did used to go and collect fossils, but um, I mean, very much in some, some of them are the, still the same, actually, you know, fantasy fiction, like things like the Lord of the Rings and, and Star Wars, that sort of stuff has always been there. Um, but I'm trying to think what else, really. Those, those were the, those were the, main, the main things um, that I kind of, kind of stuck with. But um, sometimes really unusual things, stuff like, you know, I, I went for a period where I was, I was fascinated by clocks. Um, particularly like grandfather clocks and I wanted to learn everything about clocks and things like um, birds and then animals like elephants was one for a long time um, and most of those things you know if you ask me to talk about them now I couldn't remember all of the stuff I used to pack in my head but um, at the time it was very important to me. Yeah um, it's interesting you bring up about um, learning more about animals. Um, Chris Packham is somebody you've talked about quite a few times mm -hmm. I think his documentary, I forget the name of it, but it was, um, it, he was sort of talking about how he'd lived in the woods for quite a while now, and he'd effectively exited society um, yeah. in some ways. Um, but I think it does show you how even somebody so capable like Chris Packham, when he's put in the right co um, context in the show Springwatch, you, you see that talent really like come through because he's so yeah. knowledgeable. Um, and yet somebody like him can be stuck in a situation where they're sort of, feeling that maybe it's best for them to live sort of nomadically in the woods, like in a little house on his own. Um, yes. Yeah. How, how do you feel about Chris Packer? Because um, you have spoken a few times about him. I think for me, his work um, talking about autism publicly was very insightful to me. Absolutely. No, it was one of the first um, sort of main documentaries I watched. And uh, I was really, I was really quite um, moved by it in some respects because of how openly he, he talked about it. And um, just because it, it really did sort of ring a bell with, with me and my own situation, not, not only, um, you know, his desire to, to, to sort of exit society in some respects, but also um, just how, how he was, he was very candid about his, his struggles and sort of, um, how how he managed to be you know like you say one of the lucky ones who found his 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 niche in in something that's been very fruitful for him but also just the 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 cost of that and still feeling he had to be a part yeah um i i guess this um plays into the idea that autistic people can have um a relationship with animals as well you've talked about how your dogs have helped you i've definitely found um my dog has or just even walking my dog, things like that, getting back into nature can be so helpful in taking off the stress of sort of interacting with the modern world, which can sometimes be so poorly designed for autistic people to navigate. Yeah. Have you found that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm very lucky. I mean, I have a wood right outside my, my door here and um, I go walking in it every day, um, not just my own dogs, but my neighbor's dogs. I walk for a bit of, a bit of cash. So um, I have a good, I have a good amount of time to, to get into nature and really, um, Sort of retreat in, in that respect and um i mean animals animal animals provide unconditional acceptance and i think um it doesn't matter who you are to an animal if you give an animal love then they they are going to be your 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 fast friend for life and so i think i think there's something incredibly attractive to autistic people about that um and we can become sort of make very strong bonds uh, with animals yeah absolutely 
Um, I'm going to move it along to another topic that I've heard you talk about a bit is um, overthinking as an autistic person. Because I think sometimes when I, um, I also have a woods outside my house, but I'll go and walk and it's incredible how um, a lot of us, we can really be entertained by our thoughts and often need kind of respite in nature and things like that. Um, yeah. Do you find overthinking to be a large sort of struggle for you? Oh yeah, I mean, well, in some in some ways, in some ways, it's kind of again, it's it's to do with with being on a different um, in a different space and time in a different um, uh, just being being you know sort of existing in a different plane to other people because actually overthinking, I, I enjoy thinking about things in detail very much and that's kind of what I do when I'm out and about walking the dogs or whatever. I just go into this this zone of um, kind of you know enjoying thinking about things in great detail but but equally it can be very um it can be really difficult too because um you can kind of sometimes sometimes you try and find answers to things where there isn't necessarily an answer to be found um and it can kind of cause you great frustration or great uh, uh difficulty um particularly when it comes down to things like thinking why, why am i why am i not fitting in you know when you don't have those answers um when i've tried so hard to do this uh why is this not working that that can be really really frustrating and also when you've had traumatic experiences they kind of stick in your head and um they you know you can keep replaying them if you're an overthinker um so there's definitely two sides to it yeah i think there's definitely a positive side in um how willing we can be to just sit and think about things that we're interested in or problems that we want to solve but as you say when it comes to just worrying about um interpersonal relationships or things like that I think we can dig ourselves into a bit of a hole, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Um, as well as that, um, another part of sort of getting into nature can also be, um, for me, at least alleviating certain sensory issues. Have you? And that's something I think maybe some neurotypical people, they'll be quite aware of autistic people's social issues, but they won't necessarily understand the sensory side of it. Um, mm. What have you kind of experienced in terms of um, sensory issues? The biggest problem I've always had myself is loud noises. Um, you know, I, I really used to struggle with with things like um, just any anything unexpected often, but also um, particularly machinery. Um, you know, sometimes if you're in a, a really busy place, um, even in your kitchen sometimes where there's loads of things going on, you know, and, and um, someone's trying to talk to you, you're trying to do something else, they can get really stressful. Um, and sometimes, you know, very, very big social, you know, crowds basically, um, busy places, um, you know, and I've worked in a few busy places, which was really hard because obviously you're trying to trying to do your job, but so much is going on around you. Um, and so I think, yeah, for me, nature is an, is a great way to retreat from from that kind of um, because because obviously nature is generally so much quieter and and uh, you know sort of tranquil. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I think for me, another part of it, as you were saying, sort of trying to keep up with the job and also the outside world. For me, it's um, the idea of having to keep your mind on multiple tracks. So if there's various lines of conversation going on in the background and then there's other noises and there's sort of a hundred different things, I think it can be really nice to just escape from that even temporarily, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, do you want to talk a bit about um, your experiences of friendships? Because you, you briefly mentioned it a bit ago in the conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've, you know, there have been times, mostly I've, I've had some very good friends, luckily, but, um, and I think that's because often with the friends, you know, I don't have many friends, but the ones that I have are very close to me. And I guess it's because there's kind of a meeting of minds 
um, you know, we, we often share very similar interests uh, and can talk about them in great detail and sort of that that's our relationship really. Um, and, you know, I mean, my, one of my best friends growing up um, at, at school, who's still one of my best friends, is, is also autistic. He didn't know that back then, um, but he was diagnosed a couple of years ago. And, you know, looking back, it makes so much sense because we really did have the same interests and just kind of um, hung around. And really, we were each other's only friends at that stage. But um, we didn't need anybody else because we just could talk about the same stuff over and over again. It would matter. Um, but equally, you know, there have been times where, you know, I've kind of been manipulated by people socially. Um, people I thought were my, who, you know, my, my friends obviously turned out to not be or kind of wanted wanted things that I hadn't realized they'd wanted, you know, kind of um, were using me in some ways. But um, hopefully I have become a bit better at working out those people, who those people are, um, even if I'm still not perhaps on a neurotypical plane there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting you bring up about being able to talk about the same things over and over again. That's some thing I've definitely experienced people sort of saying, how can you still be interested in this one thing? Or if it's a particular band or whatever it may yeah. be I'm into at the time, people can seem kind of a bit baffled that we can be so into things. Um, mm. What have your experiences been of that? Do people generally um, turn out to be supportive of those kind of interests? Uh, usually, usually, yeah. I mean, I've... Um again you kind of gravitate towards people i find um who are into the same thing you know it's one of the great things about um social media for all its sins is that you've got groups where you can you can you know if you are really into a band or into a movie or whatever it is you can find other people and join a group you know and nerd out about things um <laughs> but um yeah no i mean I, I definitely get the impression often people don't understand quite why i'm so obsessed with something or um they, you know, I guess there's there's this kind of this this mentality with a lot of neurotypical people where they they enjoy something for what it is and move on, you know, and, and then find something else. But um, I can I can do that too. But but when I find something I really like, it tends to just stick there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to bring up Rush now because I've heard you oh, quote okay. in there in some of your videos um, where he yeah. says, "In I think it's in the limelight. Um, I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend," and yeah. I think that can deeply resonate with a lot of um, people on the spectrum, probably also a lot of other people as well. Um, do you want to talk a bit yes. about how your interest for Rush developed? Because I've been getting into them quite a bit lately. I, I, I discovered them, that actually the first album I ever bought was a Rush album. And um, I wasn't really into popular music until quite late, um, until sort of my uh, late teens or something like that. Um, so they were one of the first bands that I really got into. But um, Obviously, with, with 2020, um, I kind of rediscovered some of this stuff because Neil Peart died. Um, and then obviously the pandemic happened. So I was sort of, I think Rush was on my mind. And I kind of found myself listening to a lot of their music. And it just helped it helped me for a, for a difficult time because at that stage, I still hadn't listened to all of their albums. So I went through the whole catalogue. And it just became very quickly sort of a coping mechanism because I was kind of stuck. Um, my, my living circumstances at that time were... I, I was basically stuck in a room, um, pretty much in some ways being deprived of, of, you know, going out and doing much and sort of, you know, having one hour a day of exercise which, uh, was, the law, was the law back then. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really have much to do or many people to talk to. And so I just sort of fixated on, on that and it helped me to, to cope with sort of some of the feelings of negativity at the time. Um, and yeah, there's so much going on in their music, I guess, is why um, what attracted me to it. The lyrics are very, um, particularly for an introvert, very, very meaningful often. And uh, 
often discuss quite, you know, topics like, I don't know, science, philosophy, all that kind of stuff as well, which is kind of unusual for rock songs. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think music can, as you say, play such an important role of seeing ourselves kind of reflected in it. Sometimes, I think particularly with Rush, as you say, um, a lot of their lyrics are quite dense and meaningful for a rock song, which I really yeah. enjoy. Um, I've also, I don't know if you know the songwriter, Nick Drake, he was another recent... Um, okay, no, I'm not familiar, but... He's more of a folk singer, but I found the same thing in his music of... Um, it sort of goes into those themes. I think it's interesting the relationship that autistic people have with music because I often find it's a lot more of a sort of um, almost like a necessity for a lot of us. Um, mm -hmm. Have you found that? Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, there have been times um, there have been times where I've really um, fixated um, on, on music. You know, it's sort of um, I, I find particularly these days because I am at this moment in time so into music that it's just. Um, I'll be walking around and I consistently have soundtrack in my head. And sometimes that can be difficult because it means I can't fun function and focus on other things. Um, but, you know, I mean, particularly uh, for one, one instance, you know, um, I think you, you know that another band I really love is Electric Light Orchestra. And um, when I was back doing my driving lessons, um, I was finding the practicalities of driving quite difficult. I was coming to my test and I was really quite, you not in a good space. I was just worrying the whole time. And ELO's music is very upbeat and very happy, and it kind of made me feel good and sort of helped me through that period. Um, so yeah, it can be immensely useful. Yeah, I've definitely heard the theory as well that Jeff Lynne himself may be autistic, which I don't think is necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to necessarily um, sort of put a statement too much on it because I, I did say something I think similar in one of my videos, but certainly there are there are things about him that make me think possibly. Yeah. I know um, for certain David Byrne from talk, from Talking Heads is, and um, I, I oh. found that quite um, sort of inspiring as a musician myself to just kind of see somebody who's done such brilliant work, who is autistic. Mm. It, it just goes to show, I mean, there's so many incredible autistic people out there. And I think like circling it back to what we were talking about earlier, the misconception that it's always a disability and there's never any sort of, um, you know, talents or particular, like, um, special gifts that autistic people have is just so wrong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, do you want to, um, talk a bit about that? Cause, um, I've heard you say before, um, that society does sort of want us to be a jack of all trades, which doesn't necessarily always fit with, well, people who have a particular interest in general, but also autistic people who do tend to, be really good at one specific thing that becomes such an intense interest. What's your kind of um, experience with that been? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's an interesting one because um, I think people are used to the idea that, you know, if you, if you hire someone for a job and it's got lots of different um, duties involved with said job, um, that most people will be fairly quick to pick them up. And um, even if they're not the best at that particular task, they will be able to do it without much difficulty and kind of, like I say, as you said before, jack of all trades, um, master of none, because, you know, it is obviously quite rare for somebody to be a specialist or be really good at one thing. Um, and so I, I think that when an autistic person comes along and, and is in that situation, people can become very confused by it. Um, you know, it might even perhaps um, make an employer angry if they don't understand why this person's struggling so much, um, or they just seem to be continually sort of getting it wrong, as it were, um, or doing something even, in, that's one of the 
tough ones as well is that sometimes you know i'll do something that's not wrong but i'll do it in a different way than the norm and people weren't like that either um and and so yeah i mean i think autistic people tend to to be specialists quite often um and so we really exceed when we can find a job that allows us to do that but often jobs just want you to do all sorts of things they expect you to do all this stuff and, and it's it's harder you know I, I, there was a great analogy um one of again one of my friends was a content creator uh, used in his video talking about how you know in video games you have this idea that you can you can you know you're supposed to be you know particularly a game like a skyrim for instance or, or a fantasy game you're, you you base your character around specializing in one thing and in that in the gaming world that's completely acceptable and yet we can't sort of accept that in real life you know with, with people being really good at others, uh, one thing and, and not so good at others yeah i think it does um it shows how um autistic people can bring something so unique as well to a working environment because we are so good at specializing uh so it's yeah. just about finding a place really um, not necessarily whether we can offer anything, it's just um, creating a context in which we can provide our talents um, in a way that's going to be suitable for us, I think is a big factor and also just accommodating autistic people as well, which is I think something that is sometimes struggled to happen, especially in sort of corporate workplaces and things like that, where people are expected to sort of fit an existing mould and it can be so challenging to do that, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, do you want to go a bit into um, mental health? Because obviously that's a large factor of things that autistic people deal with, again, that sort of need to be accommodated for. Um, uh -huh. What has your experience um, sort of been with mental health and has autism, do you think, affected it for you? Yes, yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously um, autistic people, perhaps by, by, you know, it's no surprise to, to learn that a lot of us do have to deal with a lot more intense mental health struggles than than many neurotypicals of course it's to do with the fact that, that we we have to mask so much we have to uh, we often have to deal with much more rejection much more uh, criticism than other people and you know sometimes sometimes it can be very traumatic and of course we we end up um dealing with things like anxiety and depression and anxiety for many autistic people i think is one that's that example is a, is one that's often a constant companion for, for many autistic people certainly i know it is often for me and um i think i think you know going back to the overthinking we were talking about earlier it's there is there is a tendency because of the way the autistic mind works the way that we often obsess over things i do think there is a potential there for for these struggles to become sort of uh, exaggerated you know made made, made bigger and, and a, a larger problem because because we can obsess over things and obsess over the the, the negativity of our situation um yeah that's certainly how i found it um and sometimes you just kind of you know end up struggling with things that you in in, in the future you look back and think why did you why was this such a big problem but uh, obviously it was at the time yeah i think in terms of um overthinking for me it's um often replaying situations in my mind and sort of mm. thinking could i done this differently that differently or um so in the reverse sort of the more anxious element of it in the future thinking could this happen could that happen and most of it never happens um so that's been a big part of um you know sort of learning coping mechanisms for that has been super helpful for me um Ooh. yeah as we we're talking about things like getting out into nature and just mm -hmm. giving yourself a bit of a break from that um because you can get in the mindset of like just constantly criticizing yourself i think especially for autistic people who as you say do tend to obsess more yeah 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 definitely 
Yeah. Um, yeah. In, term, in terms of mental health issues, um, I think that relates, as we were talking about being autistic in the pandemic, um, what's your experience of that been? I think for a lot of us, it's been a struggle in terms of mental health issues. Um, I, I think for me personally, that was one of the bigger challenges. What about for you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest issue for me, I think. Um, just kind of not... Um, because, I mean, it's obviously, uh, in terms of living memory anyway, such an unprecedented time um, and such a confusing time. Again, this whole thing about um, there being there being information that is conflicting often. You know, sometimes, you know, some people are telling you, you can do this, um, you, can, you can't do this. And the rules keep changing, you know, the government changes things, they relax things. And, you know, then sometimes things get worse as a result of that. So you don't know what you should be doing or what you shouldn't. That's, that's the, the weird thing because you're kind of getting conflicting messages, like I said. So that's been, working all that, that out has been quite a challenge. Uh, and again, you know, just sort of not feeling so comfortable doing things, um, kind of, because I, I think I said in one of my videos, as much as I'm a hermit, I do like to travel. I do like to go to new places and explore. And, and so not being able to do that has been a bit, um, a bit of a challenge too. Um, but yeah, again, like I said, it's been good with the, the not dealing with a lot of people, but equally you do get, you do miss certain things. And that's a bit different now. So you can sort of hang out with some people now, which is great. But um, yeah, so those, those are the sort of issues I've had really. Yeah, I think a big one for me was um, sort of the removal of routine. I think for a lot of us, routine can be such an integral part of keeping our lives sort of organised and non-chaotic. Yeah. And obviously having all of that changed around was um, a big factor of the challenges for me um, personally. Um, how did you find that in terms of routine? Did you sort of have to find your own routines or...? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, again, that's um, even if, you know, even if you're struggling, uh, you know, if you're going to work every day or whatever, it, it still it still is a routine. It's still a structure which a lot of us really do benefit from. Um, and so, when when you're put in a situation where you don't have a routine, and like I was, I was sort of furloughed from my job at that time, um, and was just sort of sitting around. And for the first, you know, the first few weeks, it was kind of fun. And then after a while, you just sort of you you kind of realised that this wasn't there wasn't a structure or there wasn't a real sort of purpose behind it, you know, and I found that's one of the things I found difficult to, to deal with was the kind of loss of purpose during that period. Um, finding, you know, trying to find new hobbies, but not necessarily sure what those hobbies were going to be, getting fed up with certain existing hobbies, um, kind of being in a weird state of limbo there was, was quite a challenge. Yeah, as you were saying, um, it is about finding kind of structures and hobbies that can suit us, because I think Sometimes when we find those hobbies, we can thrive in, especially in the pandemic, I think, you know, obviously having so much free time, it was a time when a lot of us could like experience new hobbies and things. But as you say, like not being able to go out and experience new things, I think can be an issue because I think there's um, sometimes somewhat of a misconception that autistic people can be happy to do the same thing over and over again, which a lot of us can. But I think also we do benefit from sort of going outside of our existing comfort zone as well greatly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I've always found that that it's. Um, we might be more resistant to, to do things initially, and yet, but but actually, often when we do, and when we discover something new, sometimes we do sort of wonder why we were so resistant about it, and then we might even might even become a new interest or or something else that we really like. Um, so I think the key thing is that often we need more time to 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 get to 
Um, it's not always it's not always that we're not going to get there. Maybe in some cases it is. There'll be some things we just won't ever want to do. But um, which is true of neuro neurotypicals, of course, as well. But um, but it's not always about the fact that we're not going to get there. It's just we might need more time to get there. And who knows when we do get there? Maybe we'll be more ready and in a better place. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, do you want to talk a bit about um, what your channel like? what sort of made you want to start a channel and what kind of the aims are with that? Because um, a lot, I see a lot of sort of autistic content that will be sort of top 10 traits of autism or things along those lines. I think it's really nice to see somebody just sort of talking about their own experience. Um, what kind of led you to even want to share that on the internet? Okay. Um, well, you know, it, again, uh, it was kind of a message in a bottle because um, I, I was, I was struggling a bit at the time, but I was also, curious to kind of um to know if other people were, were going through the same thing were, were having the same thoughts that i was having and kind of um not only the struggles but also to see you know just how how many people were like me and uh i i felt kind of a bit alone but i also thought well if i'm going through this other people must be too and perhaps i could help people because i realized that having trained as an actor, I was quite comfortable in front of a camera and I thought maybe I have some sort of voice here to do something positive. Um, and so I kind of got into it really quite by accident because, um, you know, I sort of, I posted a few things on, on um, social media and gradually my YouTube started to build and I posted something on Reddit, you know, saying I've got a channel and I thought, well, probably lots of people will, will kind of give me criticism and this i might get a few subscribers from it but whatever anyway luckily it turned out loads of people really liked me and liked what i was doing and so that kind of started sort of kicked started my channel off and i got a few sort of hundred subscribers from that from about 20 um you know and, and it was a really positive positive experience um and then you know i i, I suppose my, my 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 thing with it is i'm not I'm no wizard when it comes to editing or te technological stuff. So I literally just film on a phone and it's kind of a blog style thing. And I thought really that, you know, obviously I do the research I can, but I'm never going to, I'm no expert. I'm, and I think, I think it's dangerous to call yourself an expert because the minute you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure. There's very few people who can, who can very accurately, I know a couple of people who can, but there aren't many who can talk about a topic extensively and not get criticized for it. So I try and, I try and take a neutral stance of saying I know this, but but you know this is this is coming from my own experience. Um, I'm not speaking for all autistic people, um, and so far that's served me well. So, <laughs> absolutely, I think it's really key, as you say, just hearing um, from your own experience. Um, I think so much of the time in media we do lack just autistic people speaking on behalf of ourselves. There's so many organizations and companies and yeah as you were saying earlier various people who kind of want to make profit off of telling these stories it is very nice to just have somebody who's just sharing for the sake of sharing yeah absolutely um do you think um being an actor really informed like a lot of how you um because you were saying you sort of became trained in front of the camera um how what was your experience sort of learning to act because i remember um back in high school i did acting not in a sort of serious way but um it is very interesting as an autistic person to learn about sort of portraying emotions and things like that yes yeah it's an interesting one because i think you know again it's 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 not something that all autistic people will, will be would be interested in doing or have a talent for even but um it's something that uh obviously you know anthony hopkins is a prime example of that as you mentioned earlier but um i i think the, the strangest thing for me is that certain certain things that you pick up i mean autistic people have to learn to mask they have to learn to do certain things 
and somehow watching movies i'm not even a very big movie watcher but i suppose the movies i was into i watched repeatedly and i i seem to just pick up the way in which people act on camera um and so i never really had to think a great deal about it when i was actually doing it it just sort of came in a lot of ways more naturally to than to me than uh, to a lot of other people because i suppose the way in often often in film it's very different to something like theater for instance um which uh is kind of more about big emotions whereas on, on film it, it can be very much about what's actually going on inside the mind and it can be very much quieter and much more inward and so weirdly i think i found that although a theater was what i initially wanted to do uh the film was kind of just easier for me because i i didn't really i just kind of acted natural in in front of a camera and it seemed to work so yeah i think it's sometimes interesting to see how um as you say like about watching films um how many of us can pick up um sort of various ways to sort of act yeah from just seeing and observing how other people do it yeah definitely um what were the sort of particular films that you um sort of inspired you uh well again it was, it was mostly mostly fantasy movies um uh, particularly early on things like the lord of the rings um and the star wars movies and and sort of yeah science fiction and fantasy in in, in general but then obviously getting older i started to you know get a more bright uh, broader taste of things let me have a look what have i got up on my shelf um things like um you know what else have i watched uh well, Dick Lebowski was an obsession for a while. That was a, which isn't really a very natural movie at all. So it's a bad example. But um, <laughs> often just TV shows, um, you know, things like um, some of the, you know, even soaps. Sometimes I used to watch when I was much younger, and that's people sort of, okay, they're often in quite dramatic situations, but they are sort of acting naturally in realism, normal life, I guess. So, yeah. Did you find um, that? because theatre was sort of an overacting thing, as you were saying, like the big emotions, that was something you weren't as interested in doing? Yeah, I mean, again, that's what I was, I've, I is, um, in some ways I love theatre because uh, I love the live element of it and kind of the element of what happens in the moment and all of that. But um, as much as I really like doing it, and I'd say it's in some ways my favourite, I would also say that it's, it's kind of, I am an introvert and I'm very quiet, so sometimes I don't think about projecting my voice as well, or you know, nerves. Nerves can get in the way. I don't. I don't so much feel like I'm being. I'm being watched when I'm in front of a camera. It's weird. I, I don't really care too much about about the lens being there. Um, and again, I suppose that's why I'm kind of more at comfort doing this YouTube thing, because I do. And particularly, it's it's heightened as well because I do it on my own. I film it on the phone. Nobody else is involved. No one's watching me while I'm doing it. It's just. Uh, you know, I just, I just can be completely natural, I guess. Yeah, I remember um, back when I sort of briefly acted, um, yeah, as you say, getting told to project more and things like that, I definitely struggled with. I think at the time I was more of an introvert, now I'm probably more of an ambivert. I've sort of managed to bring myself around to sort of knowing how to communicate with people a bit more. But I remember yeah. as, as a kid, like, um, even one of the ways that I would avoid sort of struggles in communication was just to stop communicating, which is obviously pretty unhelpful. But I do definitely think that learning to act definitely helped me out of those ways in some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it is, um, I mean, it's a, it's a useful, certainly at the moment with, with, with everything um, in terms of, you know, not being able to, there not being a, enough autism acceptance and, and engagement as there should be 
obviously being able to, to mask and to change is helpful in certain situations. I won't, I won't deny that. Even if we shouldn't have to do it very often, of course, it can really, can really help you out of a tight spot. I think, um, as you were saying earlier, it's um, about the when and where, because if you try and do it all the time, it can be so exhausting um, and also unsustainable. Obviously, as we were talking about, like having honest relationships, you're never really going to have a fully honest relationship if you are trying to mask. And so sure. I think, yeah, I, I think especially, especially the workplace is the main place where I can see it having to become a factor. If I'm interacting with people there, obviously, there's a certain sort of set of social norms you have to comply by in just certain situations. But yeah, yeah. I think it's about the when and where, absolutely. Um, do you have any particularly, because you were sort of saying there about, um, you know, sort of obviously getting autism more than just awareness. Is there any good resources that you would recommend to people or any good books that are particularly helpful? Oh, um, well, I would I always recommend my friend um, Autistomatic on YouTube because I think he, I mean, he is more of an expert than I am. There's no denying that, but he, he is... He's somebody who gives a very rounded view, a very um, well thought out view. And I think, I think his videos are very educational and informative. Um, so that's someone I always recommend. But also um, there's a very good website um, called Neuroplastic, which uh, has a lot of information, again, completely written just by autistic people. Um, so, and so as a result of that, you know, it's, it's not going to have some of the stuff that you get on charity sites, organisation sites, um, that is perhaps from a wider perspective, sometimes just from professionals who are actually autistic. So uh, yeah, those are two, two really good ones. Yeah, how do you kind of approach talking about autism with people you know? Because you're sort of saying about how you can't necessarily hide it in the workplace. Would you tend to just be very sort of straightforward? Because obviously a lot of people have misconceptions about it. Do you sort of try to explain to them about it? Or um, would you sort of refer them to other resources? What's the kind of the best way you would go about it? Um, I, I tried. I tried to explain a little bit, but um, I mean, in my case, if I was to to tell an employer or to tell uh, somebody in my life who needed to know, I, I would talk about it again from a personal perspective because to explore to explore some uh, to try and explain to them what it meant as a whole thing would would take a lot of time and, and wouldn't necessarily always actually be be appropriate to my own needs. And um, so, from that perspective, I would probably um, just, just explain what my own difficulties were and what my own talents were, um, and not really necessarily put put you know them in, in touch with other resources. Obviously, if I was doing it from an educational point of view, that'd be different. But um, in terms of personal relationships, I'd be just saying, you know, from a personal perspective, really. Yeah, are there, are there any? Um, oh, yeah, there was one point I wanted to bring up at the very start of the podcast. We mentioned autism speaks. Um, now, obviously, one of my personally um, one of my biggest problems with them as an organization is this idea of a prenatal test for autism. Oh yes. Yes. Which in my opinion sort of, and the reason why I bring this up is because I think for so many people when they're searching autism or trying to learn more is they can quickly come into resources like autism speaks website. And that will be their first sort of engagement with it as a subject, which can obviously be quite problematic. Um, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so in my mind that sort of gets into a very dangerous place, the idea of, uh, um, prenatal test. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that um, and why that's so harmful? Yes. Oh, I remember. I remember reading that as well and, and being. Um, I had kind of slipped my mind actually when we were talking earlier. But that is a very, very. Um, it's very dangerous, you know, to think to think that um, you know people could be in a position where they could abort uh, 
because a, a child is autistic is, is just is just terrible. And um, it's I mean that that is that would be a refusal to to even accept accept difference whatsoever. And I think I think we have to remember it'd be a very boring world if there weren't different people in 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 you know um, who who thought differently, acted differently. Um, it would be it'd be very regimented and, and not not really a world I'd want to live in. Um, and again, like I say, it's it's a refusal. That that is a refusal to understand and to accept. That is not. Um, I, I cannot see anything positive out of that scenario. Um, yeah, I obviously feel the same. Um, I think it's another facet of where we see sort of removing autism being seen as caring for autistic people. Um, something I've seen a lot more, to be fair, in the US than here in the UK, is the idea that we should just medicate autistic kids. What are your sort of thoughts on that? Because obviously medication can sometimes be helpful, um, but for a lot of people sort of trying to stifle, um, you know, behaviours that are sort of symptomatic of autism can obviously be quite harmful. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it, it's, it's, trying, it's trying to change something, uh, you know, it's trying to change uh, people in a way that they, they can't be changed as well. Um, you know, some of some of these these therapies that are being promoted and some of the um, the techniques used in them, and not just in terms of medicines, but in terms of, of uh, essentially punishments uh, that are being used. I think I think it's really really terrible because obviously not only does it, does it um, what it what it really does more than anything, it might it might convince a parent that somebody's different for a while, but it, what the the harm that it does to the individual is is lifelong, maybe maybe lifelong, you know, and, and very long lasting. And um, again, like I say, it's 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 not it's not about helping somebody at all. It's just a refusal to actually see things from from their perspective. Yeah. What what do you mean by punishments? I haven't seen too much of that. Is that sort of cognitive behavioural therapy or what form? Um, well, well you, uh, you've probably heard of ABA therapy, which is obviously a very um, harmful um, form of therapy because they're often in in that they employ um, electric shocks um to yeah. to autistic people and um to, to try and you know to try and punish them and yet them to act you know in, in ways they've been taught are more neurotypical um and i think i think that is just that is barbaric in this day and age you know um so that's why i'm very much against a lot of these these um these therapies and, and i think i think a lot of them too are just um essentially quacks you know people who uh, are, are, are they're preying on the the insecurities and, and the the fears of often autistic parents uh, you know the parents of autistic people and trying to say that your child has got this problem this this tragic thing but it's okay we can make it better and it doesn't actually always have the desired effect to say the least and it certainly doesn't on the individual who's going through it is that still legal over here in the uk I'm trying to remember which. I, again, it's been a long time since I did the research, but there was a, there was a, a recently there was I think somewhere I think it might be the I can't remember, but it, the the electric shock was brought back recently in in um, some places, which I thought was just awful to read about. Yeah. So what can people kind of do for the people listening who maybe have an autistic friend or they're not overly familiar with it? What can they kind of do, especially during Autism Awareness Month, but also in terms of these kind of or barbaric practices to sort of actively engage with autistic people instead of just accept or to try and kind of change them? I, I think the most, the most important thing is to, to try and see things from, from, when you're building a relationship with anyone, you have to try and see things from their point of view and understand their, 
mind and their being to a certain extent. And I think that's essentially that, that's what it comes down to, essentially. Um, allowing that person, it's the same with activism, you know, with, with autism activism, listening to people, what people have to say, listening to them, uh, giving them a voice, um, allowing them to, because again, we're all different in terms of our talents and needs, um, allowing us to express how we how we feel in a way that we feel comfortable expressing it. I think especially given that it's such a broad spectrum of how people can experience it, I think just having empathy for the different, um, you know, different talents and different setbacks that different people are going to have is so key because when they sort of try and employ these one-size-fits-all uh, solutions like electric shock, um, it just sort of disregards the fact that there's such a variety of things that you're dealing with when you talk about especially autism spectrum disorder. Um, the spectrum is so wide, yeah. And so I think definitely empathy is just like a massive part of that, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Joe. Um, do you want to let people know where they can find you on social media? Sure. Okay. Um, so I have uh, my YouTube channel is my name, Joe Jamfrey. Um, that's that's really my main thing. I do a bit of, you know, I have an Instagram, um, which is my name as well. Um, and that, yeah, really, that's my, my main thing. I've, I've also got a website. That's not true. I forgot. I have a, I have a blog um, on, on WordPress. Um, again, I can send you the links if you want to, to add those in later. But, um, Perfect, yeah. yeah um, so I, I, I don't post. I'm a fairly infrequent blogger, but uh, there are a few interesting things on there that people might enjoy. Um, and yeah, um, I shall share this very soon as well um, on my channel and hopefully, you know, bring people over here and kind of, yeah, because this has been, this has been good. I haven't made a video for a while. So this is kind of good content for people to view my channel to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome.